Welcome to the 90s Kid Book Club Podcast, where we indulge in nostalgia, dust off our favorite books from growing up, and discuss how they shaped a generation. Hey, we're your hosts. I'm Monica. And I'm Amy. And we are not scholars, authors, historians. We're just two 90s kids who love talking about it with each other and now with you. So welcome to 90s Kid Book Club. Morning. Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Um, We are in our (laughs) post-Halloween What Do We Do With Our Lives episode. So our first episode since Halloween, we had so much fun, such a blast on Halloween. I know I went trick-or-treating with Lily, Josh, my sister-in-law, and my brother, and it was actually cool and chilly out, and we had to wear jackets, and there were so many kids in my neighborhood. It was like old-school Halloween, like just troops of kids on the backs of cars. There was one person that was towing like a like a, a I don't know, what are they called? A trailer on the back with hay in yeah. it. Yeah. Like their own hayride in the neighborhood. It was so cute. So yeah. It was definitely a chilly one. Uh-huh. And we saw a lot of drivers as well. Yeah. Like parents would drive them house to house. Um it w- we had more trick-or-treaters this year than I think we've ever had. Our really? first trick-or-treaters were, you know, just were like two dads that appeared to be friends and they both had daughters that were of similar ages. So that was adorable. But then the second run of people was like a run of 25 people <laughs> at one time. Together and or they just happened to, to together. They were a group together. together. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And who has that many friends? Like, how, how do you have 25 kids know. together? It's like the whole class went out. Yes. Yes. Wow. That's what it felt like. And immediately I knew we didn't have enough candy. And I <laughs> I mean, I got a lot of candy. You had a huge candy. cauldron I get a lot of candy. And I was just like, oh, we're screwed. We are screwed. And then I, I saw on next door all the surrounding neighborhoods, they were like, we didn't get a single trick-or-treater. Yeah. And they were all complaining. And I'm like, stop shipping them to my neighborhood. <laughs> I cannot afford this. <laughs> yeah, that's how my sister-in-law was when they were in my neighborhood because it was like full-on kind of vintage Halloween vibes. And she was like, I'm literally watching our ring camera and not a single person has come by. And people were posting Aww. on next door like, where are all the trick-or-treaters? No one came here. Yes. So they were one of those neighborhoods. We also had some ghouls, though. Yeah, we did, too. We did, too. I had one of my small pumpkins taken. Ridiculous. Um, Don't know where it is. Ridiculous. At least it's not smashed in your driveway or something. I hope it's not. (laughs) I hope it wasn't used as to vandalize one of my neighbor's properties. You know what I mean? Like, that's all I'm hoping. But, um, yeah, that happened. And then when we ran out of candy... One of the kids took the last pieces of candy and he goes, can I have your cauldron? My $50 cauldron. Like, no, no, you cannot. No. Thank you for asking. Kids and not just days. taking it. Yeah. What would you do with it? I don't it's know. so big. He wouldn't make it to the next house with right. it. Right. Like, I don't know what it, you I know? can just imagine him wobbling down the driveway with it. Like, yeah, dragging it, <laughs> dragging it behind him. 
<laughs> no, no. You cannot have my decor. <laughs> like, get out I of here. I had to calm myself down from that. And then I was like, he asked. He took the no. Yeah. I said no nicely. Yeah. It's not yeah. like I snapped, even though I wanted to. I wanted to be like, you've already taken $150 worth of candy. I know, like, what right? else do you want from me? Yeah. But no. No, I was not a witch about it. So yeah, we got to practice our thank you. I asked Lily to say thank you every single time oh. someone handed her candy. And there was one house she like pretended to be shy and didn't say thank you. And I was like, if you don't say thank you, I'm going to take the candy. Like whatever yeah! house you don't say thank you at, it's mine. I've now earned that candy. So you better be saying thank you to these houses. <laughs> oh my god! So she learned pretty quickly. Um, and then you and I had our Dia de los Muertos yes. celebration, Day of the Dead celebration the next day. So we definitely need to keep that tradition going. I think I like that even more than Halloween. So we'll I loved that. Think of some ideas to replicate every year. But this one was really great. So I highly recommend to anyone who doesn't celebrate to just remember and honor the people who have passed in your life on the day after Halloween. It was really refreshing i think so too and i loved how we incorporated the garden Mm -hmm. too um we we cut all the marigolds i had all these marigolds i didn't know why i grew them really besides to attract pollinators and then we decided to do our day of the dead celebration and i was doing some research and they're like yeah you put marigolds in all of the doorways you can also use marigolds to lead to your altar um but the use of marigolds i was like oh perfect. this is amazing perfect. this is perfect yeah so i still have them I'm oh really them all out. oh good idea yeah. oh i love that so, i didn't know what else to do with them yeah so i don't want to just toss them i guess i could compost them but yeah they're so pretty yeah cool so drying all those nice have more seeds for next year so okay okay it's nice. but yeah highly recommend you guys totally Put that into your holiday mm, season. Your holiday season. We got to we got to extend our holiday <laughs> yeah. season by one day. Yeah, that helps with that like day after Halloween depression is you just add on another day. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've been waiting to talk to you. I've almost a few times went to text you and then I was like, I'm going to save it for the pod. But we've got to talk about our new mattresses. A couple episodes ago, we said we were both getting new mattresses. And I was like, we must have gotten them at the same time. Now we need new mattresses. We'll talk again in like six, seven years when we need new mattresses again. But yes, how is it? Is it everything okay, you wanted? So I, I love it. I love it. I um, hear a We also coming. got it. And we also got a new bedroom suite, you know, a new bedroom furniture. Yeah, you got a whole Um, new bedroom out of that. Yes. For once in our life, we finally have matching furniture in our bedroom. And I feel like we're real adults now. I know. Like that was missing from our lives. I was using a dresser that my mom used as a kid. Whoa. Restained it and like resurfaced it when we were in college, Mm -hmm. the last house I was in um, when we were in college. And it has stayed that way forever. Wow. And it's now going in the guest room. Okay. Okay. So now we have a matching suite. So anyways, mattress, I love. It's amazing. Absolutely love the mattress. I have slept so well. I do not sleep in. I'm somebody who has always wished I could sleep in, but as an adult, it's been less and less. Mm -hmm. I actually have slept in this week. Nice. Like slept to the second alarm that I set. Oh, wow. Nice. Backup. Uh Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been great. But here's the but. 
I knew it was coming. Frame. I heard, I heard it in your voice. There's frame. gonna be a but. We've always we've always slept on a queen, so this has never been an issue. But I guess the bed frame we got is a um, adjustable bed for a king. What does that mean? So it adjusts from you can adjust it to California king size, uh, and you can adjust it to a king size. And we did just a king size, okay, not a Cali king. Yeah. And so there's this gap between the headboard no. and the mattress. No. And so when you go to put your pillows up to prop up against the headboard, there's this freaking space. And oh, it no. Blaine found it first and was like, what the fuck is wrong with this? Yeah. And I was like, oh. And I was like, maybe I can work with this. And I tried like shoving, you know, pillows yeah. and making, you know, working with it. No. Uh-uh. It, it's horrible. But then I went on Amazon go Amazon has everything. They have bed gap fillers for oh, this reason. Oh, okay. That they sell. That's like a, a that's like a memory foam. Okay, that okay. Goes in the gap and it even can adjust to be slanted. Okay. So like it helps prop your pillows up. So that gets delivered tonight. Nice. It's said by 10 p.m. So I will give you guys an update next week okay. on how the gap yeah. filler <laughs> issue goes yeah, should be but solved. never in my life did I think that was a freaking I thing but apparently it never. is apparently it is instead of fixing the way you make your damn bed yeah you know I gotta buy a $40 filler filler what never heard of that did not so. realize that was an issue I don't get the point of California King maybe for someone like Blanks I think it's longer it's the same width but it's longer so they're made for tall yeah. people so mm-hmm. maybe for Blaine that would make sense. I don't know anyone else who needs a larger he, than a king. That's right. Well, he made the statement. He did make the statement that I finally fit in this bed. Oh, so like Aww. poor kids like had his feet hanging <laughs> off the bed his whole life. Didn't he you say know? that like... about? Didn't he say that about a car recently? Like, oh, it's nice to have a car I can fit in. Or maybe that yes! was my brother. I just can't well, imagine he living that life. That issue. <laughs> he always has that issue. Always. He hates my car because his knees. Yeah. Hit oh the, yeah. Your car's dash. tiny. Yeah. You and Josh have the same car. Mm-hmm. I hate riding in his car. It feels so tiny <laughs> compared to my SUV. Getting in his car, I can't even wear yeah. my hair on a top knot. Like I can't do oh, a high pony or a top knot in your car. Yeah. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. too small, too small. I have to put my seat all the way down. They have a, a function that like will raise your seat uh, or lower your seat, and I have it all the way down. I don't know if the passenger seat has that though. Huh. I think it's only the driver's seat. Okay, but maybe not. Maybe not. Don't quote me. We'll find out for next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we played. Speaking of height, we played that heads up game where you put your phone on your head and it tells you a character mm. and. People have to give you clues so I you guess. I love that game. We played that Halloween stylies um, for my mom's Halloween oh. party with everyone there. And it, I don't know if they all do this, but this one like records the people giving you hints. Ooh. So you, when you hold it on your head, the camera is recording it re- everyone. It records the whole room. Yeah. Yeah. And we went back and watched it, the one that my brother had, and you couldn't see anyone. He's so effing tall oh my it was god just that's like the hilarious tops of people's heads and he was like oh yeah no that's my life like this this is my perspective this is what i see and we were all like what that's on that note, that is hilarious on that <laughs> note i saw a like instagram reel or a tiktok pretty recently this is like two weeks ago of a, a girl that was like my boyfriend's perspective and it was he was holding a phone, I think, you know, somewhere like on his forehead. Mm-hmm. And it's showing ha- his perspective of her, how he sees her. And he only sees the top of her head. Ooh. 
because he's constantly looking down. And so I Weird. asked Blaine because Blaine is like pretty yeah. much taller than me. Taller than everyone. And yeah, and so I was like, is that how you see me? It's just the top of my head? Like, is that it? So what and he's like, pretty much. Oh. Pretty much. <laughs> well, you're not right, like right up on him. No, like, and he we can look sit... at you from afar and still see your face. Yes, exactly. And like if we're sitting at dinner or something yeah. like that, the pers- you know, yeah. the it evens out. perspective changes. So yeah. I know he knows what I look like. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. More than just the top of your head. I hope he knows. <laughs> He just married the top of my head. That would be a really funny game, though, is like taking pictures of just the tops of women's heads and being like, which one's your wife? Like, yes! can you recognize just the tippy top of heads? Blaine has really bad facial recognition for celebrities. Oh, really? And stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Like, he can't. He's really good with movie titles and really good with directors and just just knowledge in general. Super smart. But he always mistakens uh, actresses that look similar. Like Margot you know, he'll never Robbie get it and right. It doesn't even have to be that, that similar. Like... Doesn't even have to be that similar. <laughs> Could just be somebody who also has like brown hair, you know? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I didn't know that. Also, I've never noticed that. Also, the the '90s R and B artists like Aaliyah, Ashanti, Maya, <laughs> Monica, he gets all Brandy. of those. Yeah, all of those confused. <laughs> all of them. Uh, he never knows. He has to ask me. <laughs> but I could see if we asked Blaine, he would have no idea. Like if he didn't see my face, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, because his facial recognition is off. But how's your uh, mattress? How's it going? Oh, very good. Um, we got. Not the exact same brand, but like the same general mattress. It was like extra, extra firm memory foam and off brand that we got online. Mm-hmm. And I had been complaining about my sleep and our mattress for a really long time, which is surprising because Josh has back issues and requires a much firmer mattress than me. And I was the yeah. one complaining, but I guess I've just gotten used to it over the years of living with him of having an extra firm mattress and it just felt so soft and worn down and like you'd flip over and the other person would feel it or like Baxter my dog he sleeps with us I felt him like getting up and readjusting even so I'm like we're this mattress is done we're past yeah we're past anyone being comfortable in here so this one we got is like basically what it was to begin with And I didn't realize how bad it had gotten until I put this one on. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so much better. So it's actually firm. You can't feel when people move around. We splurged and got the extra thick one. So it's really high, which I don't. We did, too. We did the thick one. I don't love because Baxter is getting older and he literally has to now like bunny hop up into it. So we were talking about getting stairs or something. But I do love it. And I have slept amazing the past couple nights, which was a stark difference from what's been happening. So yeah, sleep helps. It, we did have a time change, which kind of just generally throws off. We fell back last yes. night. So it kind of just throws off like, I don't know, it's, it's my body just has a hard time adjusting. But um, yeah, otherwise doing great. I realized we missed um, the first week of October, which I was in California, but the first week of October is Banned Books Week. I don't know if you saw anything about oh. this online, but apparently a lot of people celebrate like reading banned books or banned book week on... Oh, well, we celebrate that all year round. I know. So. October 1st <laughs> through 7th. So it's something I want to make a point to like, acknowledge each year now that I know that 
it is the first week in October around Josh's birthday. Hopefully I can remember. Um, but I got on this whole kick about researching what is banned book week? What are banned books? How do books get banned? Who bans the books? I went down a rabbit hole. But what got me there was this quote that I found from Stephen King on Instagram recently. And it was, the second a school bans a book, take your kids to the library, check that book out and read it. Because any book that's banned is a book you definitely need to read. He also has another one that mm -hmm. says, read whatever they're trying to keep out of your eyes and your brain, because that's exactly what you need to know. Yes! <laughs> but doesn't that sound so... Um, Stephen King? <laughs> well, it sounds Stephen King to me, but it also sounds very right-wing extremism to me. Like now, where there there's lots of conspiracy theories. Yeah. And, you know, it sounds very conspiracy-minded, but I do agree, 100%. Yeah. Go read your band shit. Yeah. Go read it. Yeah. So, um, you know, speaking of celebrity face blindness, I just keep mixing up Stephen King and R.L. Stein, even though we've talked about it, even though I've made a mental note. I know the differences between them. When I go to like look up one, I'll type in the other name or vice versa. And I had seen this quote, but then tried to go back and find it as I was doing my research and kept Googling R.L. Stein views on banned books, R.L. Stein quote about banned books, no, R.L. Stein Monica. banned books. And then I was Monica. like, why isn't this working? I was like, oh, it's Stephen King. <laughs> We, we're we going to have to read Stephen King soon, and that will hopefully fix That'll all of That'll finally this. knock it into place. That, that will fix it. It's a good thing we didn't do Stephen King in our spooky season lineup. Yes, that would have Because can you really, imagine if we did him super yeah. close? They don't even sound the same. I don't know why they get... I don't know why they don't sound the same. Their books are different other than they're just kind of both spooky, but I don't know. It's... Anyways, I found the quotes and they're pretty We learned great. so many things on this podcast I know. about each other and about ourselves. Like I had no idea that I have such a bad problem finding words. <laughs> I had no idea, but now I, I don't know. think you do. Now I know. <laughs> but like Well it's it I'm a, I feel like I'm always asking you like, is that the right word? Oh. <laughs> is that you know like <laughs> Hey, it's just the the self-consciousness of I'm saying this now on a podcast that's, right. that's it's being recorded forever and ever. I'm embarrassed so. and ashamed. <laughs> yeah. That's the question. What comes out of your mouth? I but like I've never claimed to be the smartest person in the room. You know, so me neither. let's just let that go. <laughs> the beauty of this podcast is that we are not in any means an authority. We just yeah, right? <laughs> love talking about books from our childhood. Um, so I, I fell down this rabbit hole about what is a banned book. So apparently there's banned books, but before that it's called challenging a book. So there's this formal process to challenge a book. So it's an attempt to ban a book from a library, school district, some sort of institution or organization. Um, and it's generally based on content. I think about 40% of banned books, they claim it's violent. Yeah. So violent content. Yeah. Um, challenges can either result in a book being banned or overturned and the book remains in circulation. Um, book banning is a form of censorship, so it really does kind of go against our right for free speech. I don't know why book banning is allowable. It's really mind-blowing the more research I did of 
like I am more in alignment with Stephen King, maybe not on all things, but in this thing that if they're banning a book, that's just the red flag that whatever authority figure is in charge is trying to limit what knowledge you have about this topic. And the fact that 40% of books that are banned cite violence is insane to me and seems like a scapegoat because so many of the banned books that I've encountered just in my regular life are about challenging authority or about gender roles. So I think that they use violence because that's the hot ticket like buzzword that will really get it passed. But in reality, I think it's these other topics that whoever (laughs) – I'm sounding very conspiracy, but whoever, <laughs> the general public, the the norm, the they. cis-hetero <laughs> population don't want people having access to. Right, right. So when a book is banned, um, it just means that whatever private individual government official library, reading list, bookstore, whoever has decided that they're going to take these books off the shelves. So books are generally banned temporarily. I don't think there's many books that are banned like forever. We will never read this again. But they kind of join a banned book list, come off the banned book list. Um, And in a school district, which I think is generally what a lot of the news come from, it's not even like educators, parents, kids that are involved in this. It's the school officials. It's the higher-ups and sometimes... Like administration? Yeah. Like the school administration? And sometimes yeah. librarians mm-hmm. are involved in that mm-hmm. as well. They'll kind of flag a book, but... Um, so it's not just like the PTA getting no. together and like... Okay. No. Though I'm sure sometimes that might occur. And when you think about... I can about... see that happening in Georgia. <laughs> the education system might be a bit more equitable... Um, in regards to gender politics. But when you think about the type of person that gets these high level administrator, uh, like school administrator type jobs, Mm -hmm. it's generally cis hetero white men. You know, so when you think of it that way, it's like, what do they not want us to be reading and why? So, um, official ordinances uh, rule that a book can't really be banned on a large scale, like within the U.S., although some states, cities, counties, or like even school districts can kind of take it upon themselves to ban a book. So, the reason I wanted to talk about banned books this week is because like most of our books, which Mm -hmm. we've talked about in the past, the book for this week is frequently on the list of most banned books, according to the American Library Association. So it's consistently on the list of uh, the top 100 most banned and challenged books. Mm-hmm. This week, we're covering The Giver by Lois Lowry, published in 1993. And it's been challenged upwards of 11,000 times since it was published. It has been successfully banned several times, and some of the most notable attempts was in, again, the book was published in 93, so in 94, it was temporarily banned in the state of California, which I generally think of California as being quite liberal, but they banned it based on violence and sexual content. I did look a little into this. Um, There were lots of 
of topics for banning this book. It, also, suicide, um, euthanasia, ki- yes, infanticide. Yeah, yeah, there we go. I was going to say. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so there were lots of themes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, again, citing violence as a scapegoat, because I don't think this book is violent at all. In fact, it's the antithesis of violence, which is like a complete lack of emotion. Yes. And acceptance yes. of these things as just part of life. So I. It's all actually about, to me at least, the overall theme was appreciating joy you know appreciating pain Mm -hmm. for the joy that you get appreciating emotion um you know there's so many parts of society that try to strip you of emotion how many times are women told that we're emotional yeah um but now people are coming a little becoming a little more um aware of of emotion and and, accepting which is great talking about it and maybe that's why california was the first state in 94 to ban it is their, it's actually their wokeness, not any kind of like conservatism, um, because there there is some there are some hot topics in this book. So if anyone has any mm-hmm. triggers associated with um, like childhood trauma, violence against children, I think that's probably the most triggering thing in the book. So if this one's not for you, go ahead and tune out. But like we said, this. It's all discussed in a very, which is difficult to explain without getting into the book, but it's discussed in a very detached kind of dissociated way and not in mm-hmm. a super emotional, violent way. So I, I think it's, again. Well, they're living in a, in a society that is supposed to be like a utopian, mm-hmm. you know, a utopia, but then eventually you find that it's actually a dystopia dystopia yeah absolutely Uh, yeah and i'm a sucker for any of these kind of books about people in communities any dystopian utopians like i I am down for it i am open to Mm -hmm. talking about i've spoken on this podcast about how i wanted to be a anthropology major i truly Mm -hmm. want to just study societies and groups of people forever that's the most fascinating thing to me and talking about how people live and why they live that way and how their values shape them and what's important to them so this was totally up my alley i know i read this book when i was in about middle school i think it was an assigned reading book i didn't just pick it up it's kind of one of those classics for 90s kids that you cover Along with Animal Farm and Fahrenheit 451 and all the more traditional like book study type books. It's all about like where we are right now in this moment and only this one group of people. It's kind of forgetting the larger context. It it really makes a whole Mm -hmm. lot of sense when you think about it through the lens. And that's funny. You picked it up being an army brat yourself. But yes, exactly. I was going to (laughs) say it's funny that 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 was the case and that this is a way that I have always thought. Yeah. You know, I just had mentioned that this is a line of thinking that I've always had, especially on a military base in a military base school. Yeah. Living on a military. So it's like a mini version of this. <laughs> on, it is this. It is this. And that's what. So I, I was thinking that as I was going through the book and I was like, I wonder if Monica can relate to this. I know I definitely see that um, in my upbringing. Yeah. But it sounds so harsh. 
It sounds yeah. super harsh, but it it was. Like I felt and I also had this benefit of living as a civilian and living as a military brat because when mm-hmm. my parents got divorced, my mom was not in the military. So whenever I lived with my mom, I was not living a military lifestyle. But whenever I lived with my dad, I was living a military brat lifestyle. Um and I definitely noticed this the the stark contrast between being a civilian in a public school and being a military brat at a military base school. Yeah, I'm sure. There was a huge difference I'm sure. in the level of life experience, shelter, like parents on a military base because you're in a foreign country too. These were yeah. not schools that were in the United States. You're super sheltered. Like yeah. my dad was they he was frowned upon because he wanted us to experience these other cultures. But everybody else was kind of, no way. Like, stay on the base. Especially in Turkey, Stay with the other Mm -hmm. Americans. Yeah, that's that's a bit of what Lois mentioned, is that her family intentionally chose an American-style house in an American-style neighborhood Mm -hmm. on or near the military base in Japan. And so her parents really wanted to kind of keep her safe and, and... when she asked her parents later on in life, like, why did you choose that? We were in Japan. That's such a missed opportunity to fully, like, integrate and become a part of this culture or at least, right. you know, embrace it and experience it. And I guess her mom said, well, we were safe and we were comfortable there. And I think comfortability is a really big theme in this book. So mm-hmm. a lot of what they've done in this society – like being polite and following the rules. That's just to make other people comfortable. Like they had standards about like, don't brag if you've done really well and don't call people out for being any different, whether it's good or bad. Like these are all things to just make a very like drama-free, comfortable comfortable society society where Mm -hmm. people aren't Mm -hmm. making drama. So – but then you're also taking away free thought. Absolutely. You're taking away, you know, that's kind of what the story highlights, at least to me, is all of what what you're giving you're up being for that. robbed of. Yeah. 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 And you mentioned, I don't know if Monica's gonna relate to this. This is something that I have struggled with for years. Basically, since I read the Divergent series, I really, really aligned with the Did you read the the book or watch the movies? for Divergent. Mm -hmm. I think I watched the movie, but you know me with movies. Yeah, so basically not. (laughs) (laughs) Basically I did. Um, So I really aligned with the the selfless group of people because they were in different sects and communities. Mm -hmm. Um, There was one called Abnegation and they wore all gray so that they would all blend in. They didn't want to stand out from each other. They all kind of wore their hair the same way. Um, they were very polite. Everyone kind of got along. It was something that I was so drawn to. And I've had such issues kind of integrating that into my mindset of like, why does that appeal to me? Because it seems so different in like the antithesis of who I am of like, everyone's beautiful. And I love people being unique and standing out and we all have our value. But yet I'm really kind of soothed by this society where everyone is just kind of a cog in the wheel and more less of a self and more of a group think type of society mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, i think it is mm-hmm. the comfort i think it it's taking a lot of the risk 
out of your social interactions because people become more predictable. They become more manageable. It becomes more just comfortable. And uh, Lois did mention that she specifically put in the, like, be polite to each other thing because it didn't uh-huh. really have much to do with the storyline. She could have easily taken it out. But it's just nice. It's just, like, that's the appeal of the society, right? So it's just nice that they all are really polite to each other and, like, everyone gets along. And Well, and also they're in this in this world where, you know, they've been ridded of memories. And so it's, there is this comfort where it's like, you're just living within today's society at all times. It removes all of the past. Um, You know, the saying of like, if you live in the past, then you have depression. If you're living in the future, you have anxiety. Have you ever heard this? Yeah. And if you're living in the present, whatever. Yeah, but they're totally living. Bullshit. They're totally living <laughs> in the present because, at one point, the main character Jonah even says, "Like, mm-hmm. oh, there's more than the just here right now." Like they yes. really, so much has been stripped of them that their only experience of life is what's happening right now with this group of people. There's some sort of science fiction fantasy aspect to it that there's only one person who's been given all the memories of all of the past. That person, in this case, is the giver. Jonah Mm -hmm. has been chosen to be the receiver of all of these memories and kind of pass on that legacy. So being the one person who totally understands everything that's happened in the past and has all of that raw emotion tied to it so whether it was good or bad he's got all of the feelings all of the knowledge all of the philosophy education passion that everyone else is missing from society so he is and he wants to share it with everybody that's the thing about jonas is that he realizes all these memories bring him joy and he wants to share this with everyone well and he goes through a lot of pain in receiving Mm -hmm. them but then realizes Mm -hmm. like you mentioned it's like better to have loved and lost like it's better to have the pain that comes along with any of the good and that yeah people deserve it and it doesn't need to be kept with just one part and he realized pretty early on like this this needs to change this doesn't make sense and I mean, they took it as far as, like, people in the society didn't even see color. Like, anything that could spark emotion or passion. They Mm -hmm. made them take pills as soon as they were, like, 11-ish to suppress their urges. So the stirrings Mm -hmm. is what they call it. They don't want people getting horny and getting feelings for each other. So they suppress that. They make all the decisions for them so that only this small group of people are responsible for making all the decisions and those are the elders so the elders are constantly watching and like you said kind of taking your passions and interests in mind but along the kind of like culty <laughs> group thing yeah. leader style it's like whatever <laughs> you're given that's what you're gonna do and you're gonna be fine with it So um, I was surprised in one of the ceremonies where they were giving out to 12-year-olds their future careers and jobs, and all these kids Mm -hmm. seemed okay with it. And we don't know. We weren't in their heads, but it seems like they've stripped them of any kind of passion, independence, that Mm -hmm. they would – there would be no other – 
thing but to accept it, you know? Right. I was thinking that too. Like they're so comfortable that they're not there's they're not thinking of anything else. And I find it super interesting because we, you know, as mental health professionals, we know that we're constantly preaching for people to be in the present, be in the present, be in the present, be in the present. And this society is only in the present. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of what you know, happens in this society, it does have you think. Yeah. There's benefits to all of it, you know? Yeah. But it's like, it's, um, you know, like the overall theme, I guess, is, is like living in the discomfort. Exactly. Finding comfort in the discomfort. Because that's where growth yeah. happens is you have to do things that scare you or make you slightly uncomfortable. Because if you mm-hmm. keep staying in that comfort space, nothing's going to change. And some people are fine with that. But if you truly want more or different or to grow as a human being you have to do those things that make you uncomfortable and I'm such a like I will preach that all day every day I used to do corporate level uh training and Mm -hmm. I had a lot of that in my training no matter what the training was about it was like this may be hard but we're gonna step outside of our comfort zones or like this may be a change of mindset but here's why we need to change and how we have to accept that it can be uncomfortable to change. So I've always kind of preached that. And it's funny how the one time that I really felt like I was kind of following my own advice and doing something that scared me, I left my job a a year, year and a half ago. And it was a job that I loved everyone there. It paid me well. I liked the work that I did. I just didn't really feel fulfilled. And I'm like, if I want something more if I want something different I can't just stay in this comfort of like I love the people I work with they're like family I cried for two full weeks when I left but the work just wasn't enough it wasn't it it wasn't enough for me and I just kept telling myself this is what I need to be doing because I preach all the time you need to do things that make you uncomfortable this is how (laughs) I'm gonna grow and I just had such utter confidence that if I did that it would work out beautifully And now a year and a half later, I still haven't found like the job, you know, I left for a job that didn't work. I only stayed three weeks and then quit. It just was so clearly not a fit. Um, And now I'm at another job where as soon as I got into it, um, I am now on disability and have taken months off basically. So um, I haven't really even gotten into that job to know much about it and it's it's hard to kind of look back at my choices and be like okay I did the thing that was scary and had utter confidence that it would work out and I'm not totally sure yet that it has but I guess that's that just means that it's not the end because it, yeah it will and I've learned a lot throughout the process but doing the hard thing is hard because you might fail <laughs> You know? Right, right, right. Um, and I well, have, to have to accept trust that no matter what comes, you're gonna you'll make work it through. through it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and sometimes the steps are are smaller than we we anticipated. You know, or, like you expected it to be with this big leap right. that would you know. Sometimes there's smaller steps to get there, and um, sometimes maybe. Th- th- it's like you don't always get what you ask for, you know? Like yeah. Maybe yeah. to to do the hard thing doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get whatever outcome you thought was coming from it, but it could still be the 
right thing for you to do, if that makes sense. Right. Like I needed in my life to make that choice. I needed to make the difficult choice. And it's more important that I made the difficult choice than it is what the outcome was, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I can definitely relate to that with my new job and having a complete switch in what I'm doing and knowing that it was the right thing to do and it was difficult. I was great at what I did. I could do it with my eyes closed and now going into something that I honestly no freaking idea. I mean, I do have a basic idea, but it not not enough to me mm-hmm. because I'm going from something I was very um, like in tuned with and knew it like the back of my hand. I don't want to call myself an expert, so I'm dancing around that. But you were but, comfortable. Um, yeah, you're I was comfortable. comfortable you're with going it. into the the discomfort of some new thing Mm -hmm. but i also know this is not my last uh last stop (laughs) exactly so you know anyways yeah um i thought it was interesting the word choice for um being released in the book so we find out that being released means that Basically, it's lethal injection. Someone is killed. Mm -hmm, Um, But mm -hmm. throughout the book, you find out that if someone makes a big mistake, like they flew an airplane over the community and weren't supposed to, and it freaked everyone out. They're like, don't worry, that person's going to be released. And I'm like, oh, were they choosing to be in this society? And so they're released back into the larger society or something? And then mm-hmm. as you go through the book, you're realizing being released is being killed. And the the way we find this out with finality is that Jonah's dad – am I saying – it's Jonah, right? Jonas? Yeah, it's jo- Jonas. Jonas. There's an S, okay. yeah. <laughs> they kept on saying it wrong, <laughs> Mandarda. Um, Jonas asks for the recording because now he's got some po- power that comes with being the receiver and eventually being the giver. He asked for a recording of the the releasing of one of the babies that his dad was responsible mm-hmm. for. So his dad's responsible for taking care of the newborns until they're about a year old. And he had two twins, and I guess they don't allow twins. So yeah. they release one of them. And Jonas thought that meant like they go to another community or something. So he was like, how weird would that be if – they somehow met later on in life. Like they're in two different yeah. communities and then you're like, oh, we look exactly the same. But you find nope. out that he's actually killed okay. a newborn baby just because it was like half a pound smaller than the other one. And the dad even said like, oh, it's so much easier when there's a different wake so I don't have to make the choice. Like it's just we'll take the bigger one. I don't have to choose for whatever like if they were exactly the same i'd have to just randomly choose one right oh so messed well, up well the whole society eliminates choice altogether no yeah. choice in career no choice in love no choice in you know and that was interesting too because when they choose your spouse they're choosing it based on like they said a compatible spouse mm-hmm. and it's just like mm, what does that okay. mean <laughs> what does that mean like, compatible to who like to me or what somebody else thought was compatible. You know what I mean? Like, and we've talked about how people are like ever changing and like your mom with Halloween and things like that, you know, like you grow, you change, like who you assigned me at, at 12. Come on. Like your job being assigned at 12, like 
I don't know. Well, what was... Who's to say at 35, that's what I'll want to do, but you don't have that... You don't have a choice. ...independent thought in this What was most disturbing to me, probably out of the entire book, and that's saying a lot considering there's infanticide, is Mm -hmm. the replacement ceremony. I don't know if you remember this, but there was um, a boy, I think his name was Caleb, who passed away. I think he drowned in the river. And when the time was right, Mm -hmm. they were given a replacement child. And its name was Caleb. And they, it's mm-hmm. literally called a replacement ceremony. So when the the first Caleb died, they say his name all day until by the end of the day it becomes a whisper. And then they just stop saying his name completely. And that's how they grieve. That's their, like, loss ceremony. And mm-hmm. when the new baby comes, they whisper Caleb's name. And then it gets louder and louder and louder. So they're saying, like, he's back. It's another yeah, Caleb. Right, bringing it back. That is the most disturbing thing to me because not only are you saying you have no independence, you're saying you're completely interchangeable with some other human you're, being. You're completely replaceable. Completely right? replaceable. So mm-hmm. not even just mm-hmm. stripping them from whatever makes them an individual. It's like you're not even human really at that point it's like you're just an object that we can replace right right fit you into the society click you in and make the cog wheels start turning you know it's oh it's it's bad but um well it's also the same thought as pet cemetery from your favorite stephen king (laughs) um (laughs) rl stein king (laughs) (laughs) um uh you know, in Pet Cemetery, it's this whole idea of not being able to deal with loss yeah. and being replaced, you know, being able to be replaced. You think you're bringing somebody back, but what you're bringing back is not that person. Same with Practical um, Magic. They were like, we don't bring magic. people back. They're yes. not them. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I will say, though, and this goes back to the part of me that I'm like, how do I compartmentalize this? Because I do really like some of this, which is the ritualization. Mm-hmm. I know I've talked a lot about like rituals around death and how yeah. they provide some sort of comfort and guidance yes. and rules and roles for people. And I think there is something beautiful about this loss and replacement idea, not the actual thing, but the ceremony, the the actual right. ritual around right. it. That the they ritual. together come together as a society. They all speak his name all day. So they're grieving together, mm-hmm. not the then replacing him with some other child they named Caleb. How traumatic for everyone involved. But um right. that like coming together it reminded me of Midsomar when all the women are like wailing, crying with her. And it's like when she right. experiences loss, the whole community experiences loss. It's possibly the most messed up part of the entire book, but I do really enjoy a ritual and the community coming together and feeling for each other. I thought that there was something beautiful in that. Well, and it, 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 I agree. There is definitely something beautiful in that. And we kind of incorporated that in our day of the dead ceremony as well, where we sat around and we told stories. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's a big part of that celebration as well. Um, And it's kind of like an ode in this book to that. Yeah. In my mind. Um, That, you know, you're repeating that person's name Mm -hmm. through those stories. You're you're creating those memories. You're re-enlightening those memories. You're... um, 
Well, I think there's a myth in Mexican, I think it's Mexico, where they say you die twice, and the, the first time is when your body dies, the second time is the last time someone says your name. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because there will be a very last time that someone ever speaks of you or references they you. Won't. Unless you're like they won't. Marilyn Monroe or... <laughs> I don't know. I think we all can live on a few generations in our families. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A few generations. Yeah, they better. And Just then... do something really fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. And they will bring that on through generations. Like, your great, great, great grandma was... She was wild, man. Have you heard that saying, like, uh, well-behaved women rarely made history? Yes, of course. Of real, course. Absolutely. Behave very badly. <laughs> People will talk about you forever. So um, when Jonas sees his dad kill this baby, obviously, that's yeah. kind of the, the turning point in the book. Things will never be the same again. And this is when he's like, okay, we have to do something. We have to make a plan. So him along with the giver, who is this old, old man, he's haggard. He's run down. He said, I look so much older than I am because he's burying the weight and the burden of mm -hmm. an entire of society's memories, memories. Yeah. all of the memories of everything good and everything bad and being the only Which person to super... have that and own that. And it's super fucked up that this society decided that. This was something that Blaine and I were talking about. Like they chose this one person to it's hold all of this. And and you're holding all of this trauma essentially. Yeah. That's what that is. You're holding a bunch of trauma and you're the only one. There's no one else you can go to. There's no, you know, like in today's society, like if you had something like that, you'd be able to go to a therapist exactly. at the very least if you or had resources group, to that. Or a support group, other you know. people that have gone through something Yes, similar. or a friend but or, it's so you know, so like isolating. Somebody. Yes. I, and then when he shares it with Jonas, it's really It's a weight like, lifted off. Yeah. He's like, I feel yeah. it. I feel lighter. Yeah. I, I was struck with the same thought because in my grief, I have felt very isolated and I thought about my grief compounded by an entire society on one person. I already feel isolated and I'm surrounded by others. Everyone dies. Everyone knows someone who has died. And I still feel like I'm the only person experiencing it. Imagine truly being the only person to experience it. And oh, you're experiencing absolutely. it for the magnitude of an entire society. It's too much. I don't know how he did it. It's too yeah. much. Yeah. So anyways, he's this haggard old man who's really not that old, but he has lived his life. He was married. He had a grown daughter. So um, he, I don't know, 40, maybe 50. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but he makes a plan with Jonas and says, you're going to leave our community. And when you leave, all of the memories that you have will come back to all members of society, but I'm going to stay here because someone needs to be here to help them integrate all of this, to make sense of this. And he said, it's only happened once before that there was a girl who left society. He had been passing his memories on to her. And we find out later she actually asked to be, what do they call it? Released? Mm -hmm. and put mm -hmm. the needle in herself so basically completed suicide suicide because yeah. of all of the trauma that was being passed on to her and all of those memories then went back to society and they had to kind of pick up the pieces from that so he's like 
I'm going to be needed to help do that. I'm the only person who kind of understands all these feelings and memories and knowledge associated with what we own. So you go, I'll stay. And he says, I love you, Jonas. And Jonas doesn't Mm -hmm. say it back. But he says, I need you to come with me. Like, you need to come with me. And I feel like that's his I love you back for someone who's not very acquainted with love or what it is. With emotion and and love and, yeah. Yeah, it's like, but you need to come with me because then I'll I'll know that you're safe. And if you stay here, I don't know what's going to happen to you because I'm leaving. So I saw a little, like, study question of, like, what is love and does Jonas love the giver and does the the giver love Jonas and I think they do but both are both have inadequate language to discuss it and I think the giver at least has a bit more background with all the memories he's carried for who knows how long where Jonas is showing it rather than saying it well and there's varying forms of love you know like yeah you can only have the love that you can really fathom Mm. oh yeah so Mm -hmm. Jonas's idea of love might be very different than the givers. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So he plans to go elsewhere. It's called elsewhere because it's just the end of their community. It's it's elsewhere. It's capital E elsewhere beyond whatever it is that they know. However, he discovers that a baby that his family had taken in and was kind of caring for temporarily has been scheduled to be released mm-hmm. in the morning. So he's like, oh, shit, I've got to leave now and I've got to take this baby. So he hops on his dad's bike because it has a little place for the baby to sit, steals his dad's bike, takes the baby, steals some food, and on his way out even says, like, I would get in trouble for leaving, for stealing food. <laughs> And, oh, yeah, taking the baby. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, all these, like, in his mind, all Everything are equally as bad. Every, <laughs> every rule break is equally as bad. Like, oh, yeah, and I stole a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's riding this bike. They make it seem like it's days. Um, they have planes out looking for them. He's riding the bike. It's cold. He has to use memories to keep them safe, which I thought was really beautiful. So when it's cold, he's using warm memories to keep himself safe. And he touches Gabriel and is able to pass memories on to him. So keeps him warm. Eventually, the book ends. They get to the end of wherever it is that they've been. And um, while memories were being transferred to him, one of his first memories was of a red sled in snow. Yes. And he encounters a red sled on top of a hill in the snow at the very edge of his community. So they hop on and they slide on down the hill and he sees what sounds like Christmas. It's like this beautiful large meal and mm-hmm. warm light coming from a home and twinkling lights everywhere and the book ends. Yep. So what do we think happened? I feel like it's uh, it's symbolic of reemergence into the society. Mm-hmm. But was um, it the larger? Like, I'm so confused. Was this somewhere? It seems like the larger thing, society. It seems like was it because another there's society? Christmas. No, it feels like a different society because there's Christmas lights. There's lights. There's it's more of like what know, we know. There's emotional response, you know, oh, those things yeah. are made for, for emotion. And family like, and love. Yes, yeah. yes. 
is. So oh, yeah, that's true. It seems like the the bigger... It's at least different than the society he left, if not the one we know as you and I. And if it is the different society, it's like symbolic of him going headfirst into it. Mm -hmm. You know, he's sledding down. He's like, you know. So apparently there are three other books, which I had no idea. This is a quartet. Oh, I had no idea. She followed up... um, couple years later with the next book and it does confirm that they made it they are in some new different society jonas eventually yeah. becomes a leader the baby gabriel gets integrated into the society he's just like a normal kid so they made it and it's very optimistic wow. and this author in general is very optimistic in her viewpoint when asked what happened to the society because she never really answers the, that question in the book. Mm. She talks about Jonas and what happens to Jonas and Gabriel, but she never answers the question of what happened to that other society that they left that's now flooded with these intense and traumatic memories, the good and the bad. And she is so optimistic. She's like, you know, at least there was change. I don't know what happened to them. You can guess, but there was change. Change had to occur because mm-hmm. now all these memories are integrated into the society. So if nothing else, left. it's different. Yeah. yeah. I, on the other hand, um, I felt like I was like embodying you while reading this because my interpretation before I did my research was that they died because they had a really hard journey to get there. They had run out Mm -hmm. of food. They were starving. It was freezing cold. And to me, it was like that was the afterlife is the That's a good, yeah, that's good. But she wrote other novels and completed the story so that she initially left it up for your interpretation and then came back and said, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of hope here. (laughs) Like, let me. We'll do do another. (laughs) I guess it turned out okay. But I also imagine um, towards the end of the book, the giver says that the, uh, what was her name? The girl who completed suicide, who he initially was giving his memories to, was his daughter. And that he wanted to be with his daughter was what he said. He wanted to stay. He wanted to help them work through, the society work through what they are going to go through inevitably. But then he wants to be with his daughter, which to me sounds like he would also complete suicide. Yeah. Right? Mm Because she's passed. Mm -hmm. So yes. I bet the author has a more optimistic view on that and that he lived a long, happy life in this new society that was like more fulfilling for him and then eventually goes like t- to be with his daughter in the afterlife. But I I had a bit more, I don't know. I don't know. I think it. it depends on how you look at it. I have a very twisted view on suicide and death in general, just working in crisis psych. Like that's like I work in life or death all the time and have for... 10 years um so I have a very different view of suicide but I feel like this book poses a more digestible way of suicide um it explains um kind of reasoning behind why people might do those things um suicide is something that greatly impacts the community um and those around an individual Mm -hmm. you know what I mean um and so it's very, this book is very interesting the way that it poses that yeah. as a society, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. It definitely poses like being released versus 
suicide. Yeah, even the language of it. It's digestible. Yeah. And we do that a lot in society. Even the word dead, death. They've passed away. People just passed away. And it's something in counseling that they teach you to be (laughs) blunt with your wording in counseling. They teach you to be blunt. There's a reason for these words. Mm -hmm. You know, this person is not, you know, and it does, I think, help in grief um, to not dance around it. Yeah. Just don't dance around the topic. Grief, I feel like it makes it so much harder in today's society because, and we've talked about this, because we don't talk about death. And you're we worried about making about other people it. uncomfortable. Like I exactly. I tend to use the word dead, but I feel like I sound very callous when I'm like, yeah, my dad died. Yes, and people call me morbid. <laughs> people call me morbid because of it. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to use these terms so that we can feel better about something that we both understand actually happened. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like... Well, and I don't know, I, in my mind, I'm, it's like grow up, and then other people are saying to me, like, grow up, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, be more socially appropriate, like whatever, fuck off. But in my mind, so. I'm fine using the term. I just feel like I rely on some of the other terms to make other people feel more comfortable. Yes, because yes. they it's don't about other people's yeah. comfort. Yeah. yeah, I know, I know, and that's what I'm saying is kind of live in the in the discomfort, Mm -hmm. challenge people to, you know, but of course that's why I'm in freaking mental health and where I ended up. Yeah. Because I feel like we should challenge the greater society to look at things different. We shouldn't be sheltering society from the idea of death. Everyone lives and everyone dies. Yeah. Like we should, this should not be something that in people's last moments of life, they're scared. Why are they scared? Because, you know, of what society has fed them. Um, well, so it would be know. less isolating too if everyone yes. talked. That's part of what's isolating about grief is like me having to skate around other people's emotions to talk about the fact that my dad has died. It's like I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. To talk about your emotions. But for me, yes. yeah, like I need to talk about it. So Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, it absolutely. just makes it more isolating if you're like, oh, and I can't even bring it up because then people are like, oh, oh. I'm so sorry. I know. I know. Like, My dad actually talked a lot about that when he ha- when he had cancer. He's now um, cancer free, but when he had cancer, he was having to tell everybody that he had cancer. He had to take time off from work. Mm-hmm. He did go through um, some surgery that was pretty significant, pretty intensive. Um, but he said to me, you know, he kind of like opened up to me and confided in me, and he said, "You know what the worst part is about having cancer?" And I said, "What?" And he said. Other people's responses. Yeah. You know, every time he said it, people would say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, and he goes, that's just not the response. Yeah. Like you just don't, it's like pity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it's, it's not like, helpful. If somebody, yeah, <laughs> it's just not. And so um, that was, that was an interesting learning journey for me, learning what is an appropriate response to somebody in that situation. Because yeah. um, cancer is pretty prevalent in today's society. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, if we talk about themes, we've talked Mm -hmm. a good bit about them, but um, some general themes of the book is the importance of memory. So how we can learn from our mistakes. They did mention how the elders would come to the giver for advice or Mm -hmm. counsel. And it's like you kind of can't make these large societal decisions without referencing 
what has been done in the past, what worked and what didn't. By taking all of the memories, you're not just getting rid of the positive and negative, you're just getting rid of everything. So like, how can you... Yeah, yeah. How can you progress when there's no reference point? You don't know well, and what's going to work I've, and what doesn't. I felt like that was a great parallel to today's society. Um, today's society relies less on our grandparents' generations and our elders. And if they're not sharing their knowledge and their memories with us, yeah. you know, it, it that was kind of something that was highlighted to me. Yeah. Um, that we have, you know... I do have this firm belief that, and this is going to sound just ridiculous, but I'm just going to say it. Um, I do have this belief that society is ridding households of the family unit, that there is this pressure, we've talked about this before, to go to work, to be in work, to be overworked, to, there's this huge huge pressure to do that and the only one of the I'm not gonna say the only thing that happens with that but one of the major things that happens with that is you are ridding yourself of a family unit you're not there if you're at work you're not with your kids you're not with your wife you're not with your family you're not creating those memories you're not sharing those memories you're working um so I do and I I definitely as someone who's part of a family that was divorced I do feel like the family unit has been under attack in America. It is under attack. It's not easy to take time off to be with your family. It's not easy to organize your family anymore and actually have the time. Um, well, and what's important... And I feel that that's because of our relationship with work and society in general. Well, and what's important there is, um, like, you could also be referencing your chosen family because a family mm-hmm. doesn't always mean mm-hmm. blood. It's like... Who right. your who's right. your partner? Who have you chosen? Who are your close friends? Who like you're an aunt, mm-hmm. quote unquote, to my kid, but you're mm-hmm. not blood. Like who mm-hmm. are you choosing to be your family counts as much as who are Absolutely. you related to? And Absolutely. I thought that was an interesting it it's an interesting topic because this book has orchestrated families and kind of makes you question, mm-hmm. well, what is a family? Because yes. they weren't all blood relatives. And that's where I see this parallel to today, you know, where it's like we, it's exactly that (laughs) or it is becoming that. We don't have these family units. Um, Yes, we can choose a different family unit. But again, it's the, um, the ability to have that time to share with people. You know what I mean? Um, In this society, there is no real sharing because there's no memories. There's no. Yeah. 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 The relationship between pain and pleasure, we talked quite a bit about, but I thought it was so interesting that they were required to share their feelings. It's like against the rules to suppress any of your, or to keep controlled any of your feelings and not share them with others. But they're also taking, I I don't know what was in that medicine, because I know that they were taking medicine to suppress any like sexual urges, but I also wonder, were they taking medicine to suppress their emotions as well? All emotion, yeah. Or was it just that they've, they don't have memories anymore? So I don't know. That's a good point. It's probably holistic. It's all of it. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what mm-hmm. what I did clock is that when they did talk about emotions, it was generally fear 
or like being scared of yeah. Um, yeah. breaking the rules or of change. It seemed like Great those point. were the two things. So it's like even though they're kind of beyond emotions, that really visceral like fear emotion you kind of can't ever get rid of. Like they yeah. were still fearful to break Innate the rules. Fear. And maybe they uh -huh. weren't suppressing that one emotion because that's how you control people is through fear. So they were kind of letting that one through, however, sci-fi, whatever they're doing to the society. But it di I did clock that. It's like they still are fearful of breaking the rules. They're fearful of being shamed. They're fearful of looking bad. They're fearful of being different. He was, for example, Jonas was fearful of this 12-year-old ritual where he's given his um, career, quote-unquote, like what is he going to train to be when he gets older? Um, but those emotions kind of break through, even though they're numb otherwise. Yes. Um, I did really like talking about the, the rituals when you turn 12. They had rituals for every age group until 12. Once you hit 12, they stop tracking your age and they just say you're basically grown. And <laughs> anyone who's met a 12-year-old knows that that is insanity that's absolutely <laughs> not the case <laughs> I'm they're not at all year old amy ruling the world like no no <laughs> yeah i'm thinking of the 12 year old that hit on me and my sister-in-law when we were trick-or-treating like no, what are you doing? and the 12 year old who wanted my cauldron yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think he was like 10 but still close enough <laughs> um but i did i again love a love a good ritual um but i, I liked how they had these kind of coming of age ceremonies for mm -hmm. every age range, every age group. And it would be anything from like, when you're one, you get your family, you're assigned to a family when you're one years old. Um, there was one where you, your dress now has pockets, so your clothes have pockets because you're responsible enough to carry your own stuff. And another one is they cut girls' hair, so they have to wear it in long braids when they're young. And then at a certain age, they cut their hair. At one age, they get a bike, so they're responsible for their own transportation, and they get a bit more autonomy. So it's these, like, really ritualized, programmed um, progressions through age that I think can mm -hmm. also provide a whole lot of comfort of, like, okay, you do this next, and then you do this next, and you do it's and you get so a little bit. It's so funny that you like that. I do. Because you're what somebody who said me? you hate routine. You hate routine, but you're like, yeah, actually, I would really like that routine once a year. <laughs> yeah, I hate routine. I like a ritual. <laughs> I like to me, symbolism it and meaning. So, it sounds so... Um, crap, what is the freaking... Uh, Christian denomination that the Duggars are. IBLP? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I think that's it. Um, it. It reminds me of that. It's That's what they... It feels <laughs> very religious extremism. It, I was also getting Mooney vibes. Do you yes. know that? Yeah, religious, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was getting some of that because um, their hands selected their partners and don't mm -hmm. have much of a choice. So yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and FDLS. Yeah. Did I say that right? F Is it FDLS or FLDS? FLDS. There we go. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Gen general re religious extremism. But hey, since you like that, 
I can work with you, Monica. I can work with you. You just come over to my big farm and we'll, we'll have, everybody calls it a cult anyway, so we'll just solidify that. I know. Well, me and my, me and one of my friends, Casey, I, I know she's a listener, so yeah. shout out to Casey. Yeah, Casey. We have legitimately talked about like intentional communities, like a step below yeah. a cult. Like I don't want to yeah. join a yeah. cult. It's don't more get like me a wrong, compound, but, like, yeah. community compound, not We're totally a cult, down but... for that. Just buying a bunch of land and raising our family. Families really intentionally. <laughs> that sounds crazy. It sounds crazy, but I went down that rabbit hole during the pandemic. Yes. I actually started planning it, and then I was yes. like, "Oh, I am planning a cult." Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Backing right. out. Backing right. out. But and then I realized real quick, I was like, "That's how cults happen." Yes. Okay. <laughs> got it. Got it. I was this close, man. There's I was a fine this close. Line. There's a fine line between intentional group of people and a cult. <laughs> but you know we. We would just have, well, nope, that's a cult. Nope, it's a cult. Nope. <laughs> it was not. like, we would just have like-minded <laughs> beliefs, but it wouldn't be related to religion. And then I was like, nope, that's still a cult. <laughs> still a cult. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> it's funny because Blaine was showing his coworkers, um, somehow the garden came up and he was showing his coworkers about, he was showing them my, my More Plants, Less People page. That's my Instagram page. That's what the garden is posted under on social media and they go more plants less people isn't that a cult doesn't that sound cultish and instead of him being like oh no no she's just a gardener it's just a name she chose he goes yeah it is a cult if you get into gardening you'll understand and i was like fucking a blaine like no we're not cult (laughs) you just put that on the top of your instagram not a cult not a cult and then it sounds like a cult right (laughs) not a cult we're just a group of like-minded farmers (laughs) yeah right right with similar beliefs Sorry, y'all. Sorry. Oh, okay, we're we're on a tangent. We're on a tangent. Um, it's all right. They're all in our '90s kid book club cult. So whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. We can be. A, we are a group of like initiations people. every Tuesday. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention is this book apparently is written in the third person limited narrative style, and again got me down a rabbit hole on this topic as well um i'm sure i learned this in like middle school english class but i I didn't remember that there's third person omniscient which is a third person perspective or narrative that's kind of like the god's eye view so it shows you everything as a reader you can yeah it's that outside third person perspective okay you can get kind of this like yeah exactly outside there's no limits to what can be shown you can see anything in the world you can zoom in and out dip into characters heads whatever there's a third person limited which is how this one is written which is typically tied to one main character or at least one character at a time it is written in third person um but we're only really seeing events through that one person's mindset whenever you're in their head so it's a limited third person we're reading this through Jonas's lens, but we still get other perspectives. We also get, yeah, we also get an, a, a further outside third person perspective from Jonas, though, because Jonas refers to 
like Jonas is referred to as Jonas right. in the book. Exactly. So you we're know, not so in his like you, head. It's just yeah, following yeah. that character, but it's still third person. And then Super there's one called third person head jumping, which was practical magic. So it's yes. going into someone's head, getting their perspective, and then even within the same sentence or paragraph, to going to someone and... else's. So we were trying to like think of how to describe that. It's third person yeah. head jumping. Where this okay. book that we read, The Giver, this week is third person limited. So you get a more limited view, but it is still third person. And then there's the third person omniscient, which is just, you know, everything as a god would. After a decade of recording these podcasts, we're going to be like literature experts. Like, <laughs> we're going to know all of this. We're going to be able PhD. to write a book. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um, I do have a little bit of the author history that I think will kind of round out our understanding of her and uh, where this book came from. Um, so I did think that the author was a man and his name was Lewis, but no, it's a female and her name is Lois. I totally thought it was Lewis. <laughs> and then when you started referring to her as a she, I was like, oh, okay. All right. I believe it. I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't know how those two are spelled differently, but apparently she's Lois. Um, okay. I definitely wrote all my notes as he was a young boy and he, he, he. So if I have some switching in between, you know, that's why. She grew up as a military uh, child. Um, so... Although, as we talked about, she was living in this American town, an American-style home with all these other Americans in Japan, she actually sought out the culture and would kind of go ride her bike to the back mm -hmm. gate and leave and go experience true Japanese culture. And she says that that was a big inspiration for her viewpoint and kind of why she would think to to write this book mm -hmm. um she in a 1994 newberry award acceptance speech which she did win twice so she's also the author of wow. um number the stars it's a holocaust book you probably remember oh, wow. the cover of it i know it was definitely like an assigned reading for us um in school as well but she won it for this and that um but this was one of her acceptance speeches she talked about how sneaking out into Japanese city and um, experiencing their culture and like stepping out of her comfort zone was really impactful for her. And that she actually had an interaction with someone who came up and touched her hair because it was different than yeah, yeah, Japanese yeah. hair. And she didn't understand the language well enough to know that that woman was saying like, oh, your hair's so pretty. She mm -hmm. thought she was saying something about like not liking her or not wanting her there. So, um, again, that discomfort that comes along with kind of stepping outside of your boundaries. She was also really heavily impacted. There was a couple other stories in this speech, but I really liked this one, which is that she was an author um, or a reporter writing for a newspaper and wrote a story about an old man who lived by himself on an island. And when they started talking about colors, they had these long discussions about colors and she was like, I just swear, like he had a more vivid mind for colors. Like things were just yeah. more vibrant and vivid for him. And they had these long conversations about different colors. And then I guess later in life, he became blind. And so she wished that he could have given her his capacity to see what he did and how he did. That's another inspiration. Wow for the book yeah yeah i can see that 
And then um, the last one that I really liked is that she was, she was speaking on the other book that I mentioned. Number star, number of stars or number of the stars. Number of the stars. Number of the stars. Yeah. She was speaking to an audience about that book and someone stood up, like raised their hand and stood up and was like, why do we have to keep telling this story over and over again? Like, why do we keep going back to the Holocaust? Why do we have to keep doing this to ourselves? And she told the story about how she had a German daughter-in-law. So her son married a German woman. And that German woman said, we more than anyone else, us Germans know the importance of repeating these stories over and over again, of sharing mm -hmm. the Holocaust over and over again, and how it's a more comfortable world if we can forget the past, which again, you see in this story. Right, right. But life isn't always about being comfortable and safe. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we do kind of have to open that back gate and explore the rest of the world. So we do have to open ourselves up to these uncomfortable things, the conversations that come from them, the stories that come from them, and not repeat any of our same mistakes, obviously, mm -hmm. but also kind of step into that world where we are embracing in the more uncomfortable conversations. So that just brings up a thought to me that, you know, Safety is such an illusion. True. I remember thinking this when we were replacing our door locks throughout our new house when mm -hmm. we first moved in. We replaced every single doorknob inside the house and outside the house. And I realized what a lock was really made up of. And I was like, wow. <laughs> so like, <laughs> legit, we live under this guise of like, because I have this lock that I'm safe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you live as a military brat on these bases, these families believe like as long as you're on the base, you're safe. Yeah. You know, how safe is safe? Like ignoring other things doesn't make you any safer. Right. You might falsely think you are safer because you don't understand what's going on outside or the other possibilities of things that could happen. But how safe is safe? I yeah. don't know. Um, well, I, my example is- Are we is... ever really safe? I don't know. My... Or are we always safe? I don't know. <laughs> My example mm -hmm. is that I, I don't stop for gas unless I'm near my house. I have this anxiety about going mm -hmm. to random gas stations. Like if I'm on the other side of town or like a different city that I'm not familiar with, mm -hmm. I will like push it to where I have like a couple miles left on my gallon yeah. to, to get, get closer to your familiar to home. spot. Yeah. And as yeah. soon as I'm like, okay, I recognize this, I feel safe. But why? I don't know. I'm sure I'm mm -hmm. just as likely to get mugged in whatever it's just gas more familiar it, yeah it's just more familiar. it just feels like comfortable. we have this false sense of safety yeah and i think that's why it's always so jarring when something does happen and we realize how vulnerable we are right you know and you have this huge sense of vulnerability and it's terrifying because we're not used to that absolutely um, but yeah it is another it is interesting safety is such an illusion you know how safe am I really right now? I don't know, but I don't want to think too much yeah, about just it. Don't. Else I'll get scared. Just don't. <laughs> yeah. Mm -mm. I did want to end on one final note, which was that um, also this author, Lois Lowry, said that the giver passed on knowledge, history, memories, color, pain, laughter, mm -hmm. love, and truth, and that each time we give a kid a book, we're passing that on as well. So giving mm -hmm. a child a book gives them freedom. It gives them choices to open that gate, explore the elsewhere, and it's a magnificently risky and unsafe thing, but it's worth doing. 
Yeah. So kind of bring it full circle back to our banned books of like you're giving them freedom and the ability to make their own choices as well as all this other knowledge and history and pain and love and laughter. So stop restricting what you think kids are able to handle. Yeah. It's – I love that. I love that. Well, I love that for so many different reasons. Definitely what we've already talked about, but also – the fact that majority of my gifts for my nieces and nephews are books. Me too. I, I love giving try, books. Yes. I always try and do a book. I do books on feelings mm-hmm. very young. I do books on, you know, emotion, exploring feelings. Um, there's one book. I think I might have given it to Lily as well. I know I gave it to Sammy, but it's about exploring um it really at the end of the the book it's about exploring happiness but the whole book is about it's okay to cry mm-hmm. you know and it's okay to feel sad and it's okay to ha- you know normalizing that normalizing the discomfort a little bit yeah um so i love that yeah i, I totally agree the gift of books you gave me books for christmas a uh-huh. few years and i have them i love i love freaking books one of your books is the um the Green Witch. Yeah. One. And I refer to that all the time. Oh, really? Time Good. Because okay. I'm always growing things in yeah. there. And I'm like, oh, what's this one mean? Mm-hmm. And it'll tell me like, oh, it's best for these signs. And I always find that I'm growing something that's good for my sign, oh, which is crazy. Weird. Yeah. yeah that is wild. Yep. Yeah. I have to intentionally I mean, not give people just books because I realize not everyone appreciates them as much as I do. Give me all the books. No. <laughs> give me all the okay. books. <laughs> I already have one in my Amazon cart for you. That was going to be for Christmas. Ah! <laughs> okay. Well, I think. Oh, that- you know what we should do? What? I'm sorry. I just thought of this. What? And I guess maybe our listeners will hold us accountable. But Uh-oh. for Christmas, we should choose a book to give ourselves like I give you a book you give me a book Mm -hmm. that we enjoy and we'll read both those books yeah okay we should do that okay let's do it yeah I like that cool okay we'll have to schedule that in for December yeah cool yeah and we can and we can do our gift opening on the pod okay perfect yeah so we're gonna need them like soon we'll have to talk logistics oh yeah we've got well we've got like five weeks four weeks four weeks maybe no okay yeah we'll (laughs) figure it out (laughs) I think that wraps it up for the giver. Um, we always try to throw in a cringe 90s story, and I found one online recently that was too good. I had to just copy and paste it over, and we're going to steal this from some Reddit user named Keaton Nandan. Keaton Nandan? Thank you, Keaton Nandan. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, so (laughs) it starts, I was the new kid in class halfway through second grade. There was a class hamster that went home with a different student each weekend so it could be fed and cared for. I took it home one weekend and was so excited, but my three-year-old sister got into the cage and, um, loved it to death. Like, no, she accidentally released the hamster. She released the shit. (laughs) She accidentally smothered it, so I had to tell the class on Monday and replace the hamster. Several weeks later, when it was my weekend to take the hamster home, it died of a heart attack. So I had to tell the class again that the hamster died at my house, so everyone hated me, and I was never allowed to take the hamster home again. It was tragic and humiliating for a seven-year-old me. Can you imagine? Twice. 
twice no. the hamster no. died in their possession. Oh my gosh. That reminds me though of this story. Um, okay, so I went out when we were in college. Um, it was after sophomore year of college. I went out to Turkey for the summer to see my dad. And I was only supposed to go for like a month or something like that. But I went out there and when I came back, I was gone long enough where I was not driving at all in Turkey. And when I got back, Blaine picked me up in my old Volvo and I was like, I want to drive home. Mm-hmm. And we were driving, you know, it's like a two hour drive back to our college campus Yeah, from the airport. And so um, I got in the Volvo and I'm driving and we're taking the back roads because we don't want to take 20 all the way down because it's usually traffic. So we're taking these back roads off the side of 20, and I first hit a bird. A bird flies into the car. Like, we're in country roads. So, I mean, it's pretty common that you'll Mm -hmm. startle something, and it'll fly out in front of your car. A lot of deer. We hit a deer out there, Josh and I. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, I'm happy none of these were a deer, but... So the first one was a bird, and I was like, oh my god, I hit a bird. I'm not somebody who, like, takes that lightly. I already feel bad about it. I'm, like, you know, saying prayers in my head, mm-hmm. like, thank you, bird. You know, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, and then, like, we go another couple miles, and I hit a freaking rabbit. No! A rabbit runs out what? in the freaking road. Then, then we go a couple more miles, no. and I hit a third freaking animal. I think that one was a squirrel. Oh, and no. Blaine's just dying laughing because I'm crying. <laughs> I'm so upset at this point. I am bawling my eyes out. I am just so distraught. I cannot believe that this has happened not once, not twice, but three freaking times. I'm like, this is a bad omen. Yeah. Like, I don't need to be out here. And Blaine's just laughing hysterically like – because he's seen the whole thing happen and he knows it's just He saw the escalation. <laughs> yes! And he's just like, there's no way I can calm oh me down gosh. from this. Oh, well, death comes so in threes. Bad. So. Fucking you got your three. It was so bad. It was so bad. Do so, you ever yeah. just have really uh, superstitious thoughts that you have to stop thinking about because you're you're scared you're going to like make it happen? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Like you get like you ruminate. You'll give energy to that thought, and then it'll happen. Yeah. So death comes in threes is one of those things that pops in my head anytime someone around me dies, or I hear of someone dying, or like something really bad happens. I'll be like, Oh no, death comes in threes. What's coming next? What's coming next? I don't know where I got that from. Talking your practical magic. Yeah, practical magic. (laughs) It's like one of those weird superstitions. I don't know where I got it from or why I think that, but I'm always. I always heard it with celebrities. Oh, I was really? heard it with like Hollywood. Yeah. That uh, was the oh. first time I think I ever heard it was in relation to Hollywood. Um, I've also heard the superstition, and this one came from an ex-boyfriend in high school, but um seeing like two crows on a on a line, like on an electrical mm-hmm. line, is supposedly a sign of death as well. I knew crows well, had an association yeah. with death, but crows there's are... something about two being a yeah. But crows are similar to we talked about the the tarot death card recently mm-hmm. on the podcast. Crows yeah, are similar change. in that yeah, it can mean death and that's why people mm-hmm. are scared of them or freaked out by them. But it can also mean yeah, change is coming, something good is coming that like the tides are mm-hmm. changing type of thing. They're my favorite animal, I think. They're my favorite bird, 100%. I almost I got crows. a a crow or raven tattoo. I looked into both. Um I almost did that. Um, 
might still want I've looked we'll into see. a crow tattoo too. You have? Should yeah. we get we're gonna get Besties nineties kid book club crows? <laughs> <laughs> well I was looking at it <laughs> once as a you, cover up. Once you yeah, once you once you finish your uh gotta remove Oh, are you gonna cover for... it up? No, I originally oh, looked okay. at a cover up and thought about I remember putting that. a crow I remember and that. then uh, I'm getting a tattoo removed, but me and my sister-in-law had this conversation recently where I, I think that having an ankle tattoo is the absolute worst place for a tattoo because everyone sees it. Mm. If you're wearing dresses, if you're wearing skirts, if you're wearing shorts, unless you have like full pants mm. on that cover your whole ankle. Yeah. And even sometimes if I like cross my legs, you can see it with pants on. Yeah, People feel the need to talk about it. If it's public, they feel the need to comment on it, to talk about it. And she said the same thing. She was like, I get the most comments on my ankle tattoos or like calf tattoos. I don't know why. Yeah. It's not – it was feel... not attention-seeking. I don't want to talk about it. I don't – it's not an invitation yeah. to talk about it, the fact that you can see it, but people want to. Oh, my ta my tattoos are dark and scary, so comments I get are like, that's scary. <laughs> I, mean, I do get a lot of the time people will be like, I like your tattoos, that type of thing. I feel the opposite though. Blaine and I went into like a hardware store or no, 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 no. It was AutoZone. We were doing car work yesterday. He was getting a new alternator. So anyways, we went in to pick up a new alternator and I was wearing sweatpants and a sweater. So you could not see any of my tattoos. And I felt like such an imposter. What? Like I was like an like I was an a poser or something like that because it's like without my tattoos showing who people am I regularly <laughs> regularly mistaken me for like a sorority girl and no offense to sorority girls no hate just not the type of person I am and so though sorority girls are definitely diverse in their Nowadays, characteristics yeah. as well yes yes but back in the day not so much and um. So I definitely felt like an imposter. Like I was going in there looking weird, all, all like boppy, you know, and huh. it's like, no, I'm actually clinically depressed. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> weird. I've never thought about that. Yeah I, yeah, I don't have that issue, but I cannot join a new job without someone pointing it out or get a pedicure mm. without the person pointing it out. And they usually mm. say like, oh, that's cute. Like it's not a bad tattoo. I just don't want to talk about it. I'm an introvert. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. talk about it's it. It's not your. Mm -mm. It's not your business. You know. Yeah. yeah someone. I feel the same. Uh, someone that I was around once. It was like a f true friend of a friend. Like we were going out one night, and I literally never saw them again. Had just gotten a brand new tattoo, and it was on her wrist i believe it was like very mm -hmm. visible and when mm -hmm. someone asked her she's like oh you just got that what does it mean like what is it it was like a symbol or something she was like yeah i i, I don't want to talk about it it's really personal i was like you put a permanent piece of art <laughs> on your arm and you aren't going to tell to people what it means and get all weird yeah. and cagey like yeah i had what? a friend i had a friend in high school um, and I won't go into too many specifics because I don't want to identify this person, but very good friend of mine, he had a tattoo on his arm. I don't even want to say what it was. <laughs> nothing risque, nothing, okay. nothing, you know, it, nothing bad. Um, very nice tattoo. But he had this tattoo and he was like, I asked him what it was. I'm very careful. Usually I don't ask about meanings. Um, but he went down that road and he was like, I, I won't ever share the meaning of this tattoo. I will only share it with the person I marry. And I remember thinking at that time, because I am a child of divorce, um, 
So I remember thinking in my head, like, well, I hope you only marry one person. I know, right? Like, if it's that sacred to you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I hope marriage is more sacred than that tattoo yeah. is to you. Yeah. You know, like. Hope that works out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I always think that's interesting, too. I, um, I'm now at the point where, like, my, my tattoos don't have to have meaning. Right. As long as I'm not getting a chalupa or anything like that, I'm pretty okay with it. Yeah. But I have found myself that if it didn't have a meaning the day I walked out of the shop, it now has a yeah, meaning. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you assign these meanings. Uh-huh. Also, a lot of tattoos that when I got them originally, they symbolized something else to me. Now they mean something else. Hmm. Okay. Um, so there's lots of that. I think mean, I think that's the cool thing about tattoos is that they can kind of evolve with you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they so. have to because people change. <laughs> They have to. Yeah. Well, it depends on what you get. You might get something that maybe can't change. You know, it might be so specific. It might be so, you know, that's why you got to be careful. (laughs) Or get it removed like me. Yeah. Or get it removed. It's it's only Actually, you getting yours removed, yours getting, you getting yours removed actually provided me a lot of like um, anxiety relief. Oh, really? Because I'm somebody who used to really have heightened anxiety going to tattoo appointments I'm always afraid that I know I'm very aware of what I'm getting is forever Mm -hmm. I'm also very aware that I'm somebody who has changed yeah I feel I've changed a lot over short periods of time and and so I don't I'm very afraid of that I'm afraid that I'll get something that it, it doesn't have a diverse meaning or it can't grow with me. And when you were like, yeah, I'm getting mine removed, I was like, oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a thing. I could do that. <laughs> that's not, you know. And so I haven't taken yeah. it to the point of getting a chalupa, but it has provided know. me a lot of relief. Yeah. It really has. <laughs> G- good. I'm glad I can provide that relief. It's yeah. <laughs> only very, very expensive and extremely painful, but it is possible. Hey. It, it provided me that that first session when I was driving home, I felt such in empowerment i was like i control my life i control my destiny i want this fucking tattoo gone it's gonna be gone (laughs) yeah forever doesn't have to be forever (laughs) so yeah there is something empowering about it you got options for sure well um if we did have a bingo board which we've joked about in the past tattoo talk would definitely be on there because i don't think we've gone an episode without tattoo talk so that was our segment of tattoo my addictions are showing (laughs) gardening Um, addiction witchcraft (laughs) yeah So if you want to share any of your stories on the pod, uh, feel free to email to us at 90skidbookclub at gmail.com or connect with us on any of our socials, Instagram, TikTok, threads. We're also on Patreon. Um, And uh, my new push is to subscribe, rate, review our show, help others find us, grow our what do we call it? A cult following of the podcast. (laughs) Do it. You won't. Do you remember that from the 90s? Uh-uh. <laughs> Everybody would be like, do it. You won't. I don't remember that Like one. if somebody dared you to do something instead of being like, I double dog dare you, they would respond with the opposite of like, do it. You won't. That must like have been somebody, a nor'eastern know. thing. That Whatever. Didn't Shout to out to my New Englanders. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well thank you all for listening. We love you all very much. And I guess we'll see you next Tuesday. And TTYL. Goodbye. Bye.